This is American Deep Dive, and I am your host, Sean Kane. Today is April 8th, 2020, and it is 9.21 p.m. It is a Wednesday, and uh, today's episode is going to be quite a bit like the last episode. Um, I'm going to start with the news, and then I'm going to get into a deep dive towards the end of the episode. I want to do a coronavirus update. Um, as of right now, there are 430,210 cases in the United States, um, 14,736 um, Americans have died of COVID-19, and another 22,356 have recovered fully. Uh, today was the worst day in New York State. Um, 779 people died in New York State alone today. It's just terrible news. Um, there, there's no other way to put it. We've lost too many people. And it's been so fast that th- this all seems to be happening. Um, but we're going to get through it. Um, I, I fully, I, I feel really, really confident that we're going to get through this. We're, we're a great country. And I think this is going to make us look at things differently. The way we do things, the way we handle things as a country and as a society. I think the way we look at public health, um, as I've said before, we're the only country in the world without a national health care program. Um, I, I, I think this, this it's definitely showed me, I, I thought this before, but it's really confirmed the fact to me that we need a national health program. Um, and then also on a societal level, um, it made me appreciate a lot more just being able to be with my friends. I, I miss my friends and I miss my family so much. Um, you know, just being able to watch a game with them or to, you know, go out to dinner with them. And, you know, we can't do that anymore. So I do hope if we could get any kind of silver lining through any of this, I do hope for two things. I hope that we take public health more seriously in this country. And I hope we could all appreciate the people that we have a little bit more. Because I know I do. Um, So it's not all bad news today. Uh, It looks like the curve might actually be flattening in New York. Uh, Looked like the past three days, they've had a lower number of cases Um, a lower number of new cases in each of the past three days. Um, And that's really been what we've been trying to do, uh, at least most people in the country, so that the healthcare system is not um, overrun. I want to emphasize if we are, if that curve is flattening, while it's very good news, uh, we have to keep doing this. We have to keep socially distancing ourselves from each other because it could go back up. There have been countries where it looked like they had it under control, and they did. 
and then the curve went back up because they went back too early. I think that happened in Hong Kong. Uh, Japan had a similar uh, occurrence. So we have to be cautious with how we handle with how we handle that because nationwide it's going to be happening soon, where that curve will flatten. Um, like I said, great news if it does, but we're not out of the woods yet. Um, and this could there could be a second wave. Um, there's still going to be new cases, and it could get it could still pop back up again, where we need to go and reflatten the curve again. Um, and I think the most important thing we could do right now, and then at that point when the curve does finally flatten, is just keep listening to the doctors. Don't listen to politicians. Don't listen to people in media who have agendas or people like that or people down the street that say, oh, it's safe. No. Listen to people like Dr. Fauci. Um, one of the reasons I also take this with a tiny grain of salt, I do think it's generally true that it's flattening with how serious people are taking social distancing. Um, while I think it could be a little more adhered to, I, th I think generally that we've, we've done a pretty good job of it. Um, you and me and all of our other fellow Americans, I think we've mostly been doing a pretty good job of it, but why I would take it with the tiny grain of salt is there's still not enough testing in this country. We have more cases than anybody, but we rank 39th in testing per capita. Um, again, don't, don't believe Donald Trump. It's not true that anybody who wants a test could get a test. It wasn't true when he said it a month ago. It's not true now. Uh, it's still difficult to get a test in a lot of areas. Um, you know, we, I, I see more and more drive-through testing, which is good, but it still is not, you know, super, super easy to go get a test. And we don't have enough of them yet. Uh, and God, Trump, he just, He's just so dishonest. Um, a couple days ago at one of his press conferences, I don't know if you've been watching those or not. I try to avoid them, to be completely honest, because they they don't give – he doesn't give facts. He just spins everything. He lied about people getting on and off of airplanes getting tested because in, in this country we still have airplanes going – uh, between the states, um, and he was—he said people getting on and off the planes are all getting tested very strongly, very strongly. Getting on and off the airplanes. Well, that's not true at all. Nobody's getting tested going on and off airplanes. And then just 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 a side note too. This just—I I almost spilled my diet Dr Pepper when I heard this. He's. He lied about the number of people following him on Facebook at a press conference where hundreds of Americans are dying, hundreds or to thousands of Americans are dying every single day, partly because of his slow response to this. He's bragging about the number of people that follow him on Facebook. By the way, he lied about it. More people, he said, people follow me the most. It, it's not true. 
that's what you're going to talk about at this press conference? He's just such a child, such a lying child. And one of, and I, I want to get into this story too. So the way the federal government is handling who gets protective equipment, personal protective equipment and ventilators is really obscene. Uh, in combination with the price gouging from a lot of these places, the uh, the um, it's either the masks or the gloves. I I apologize. I should I should know that. Um, they're usually seventy cents per glove, and they're now seven dollars per glove. Or actually, it's per mask. So they went from seventy cents to seven dollars, not seventy dollars, seven dollars. That price gouging, it, it's just so disgusting that we have to deal with that now when doctors and nurses are putting their lives on the line for us. And then it brings me to what our federal government is doing. So J.B. Pritzker, who's the governor of Illinois, um, has and Trump has been critical of Pritzker. Pritzker has also been critical of Donald Trump and his handling of all this. Um, he brought something to light that I want to share with you. And that's that these states are bidding against themselves for personal protective equipment. And they have to go and get them and get this equipment from private companies in the United States. This is from Governor Pritzker of Illinois. He said, quote, we're bidding, unfortunately, for all of these items of equipment against, against the federal government and against the other states and against other countries because what the White House has done is created this, is created, you know, they call this the air bridge where they're bringing stuff back from China to the United States and they're delivering it to private companies in the United States. Not to the states themselves. And they're letting us all bid against each other for those goods that are owned by private companies. So why are these private companies being middlemen to this equipment we're getting from China? We have the federal government bidding on these too? Guys, there has to be a better way to handle this. And I don't want people to think, well, Sean, that's probably just how it is. No. This is a whole new thing. This has never been done this way, where we have states bidding against themselves. It should be simple. Who needs what? The federal government goes and gets them. And gives them to the states. That's what it should be. It shouldn't be giving them to a private company who's going to make money, I assume, off this private equipment that they're selling to the states for people who are dying. For doctors and nurses putting their lives on the line to keep people from dying. 
And I also want to get to the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who is somehow an expert. He's not an expert on anything, but he's somehow the point man, one of the point people for the federal stockpile, which is the stockpile for um, uh, pharmaceutical equipment, uh, ventilators, things of that nature. This is Jared Kushner. Quote, the notion of the federal stockpile was it's supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they use. Who is our OUR? That's us. If you're listening to this and you're an American citizen, that's your stockpile. Who is the federal government giving me giving this stuff to? If not the states. Who? Who's getting these? Is it Jared Kushner's ventilator? Or her? Is, is it him and Ivanka? Or are they sharing it? The, the, who, who's, who's we? Who's our? What do they mean the states aren't supposed to use it? If they're not for the people living in those states who are dying... Then who are they for? God. And, of course, this is from the National Stockpile website. Strategic National Stockpile website. This is a quote from them. This was on their website until the Trump administration, until Kushner went and said this whopper of a quote. Uh, they ended up editing this a little bit. This was what the National Strategic Stockpile website said, quote, this is the nation's largest supply of life-saving, far- life-saving pharmaceuticals and medical supplies for use in a public health emergency severe enough to cause local supplies to run out. Uh, local supplies are running out because we have this thing called a pandemic. Back to this. When state, local, tribal, and territorial responders request federal assistance to support their response efforts, the stockpile ensures that the right medicines and supplies get to those who need them the most during an emergency. Organized for scalable response to a variety of public health threats, this repository contains enough supplies to respond to multiple large-scale, large-scale emergencies simultaneously. So that's from their website. And it's very, very clear for when local life-saving pharmaceuticals run out and they can respond to multiple large-scale emergencies simultaneously. So they could go and they could respond. So, So this is exactly what this is for. This is the biggest pandemic we've had in this country or around the world since the Spanish flu in 1918. This is the time for for the stockpile. 
And Kushner has gone around saying, oh, you know, the states aren't supposed to be using them. Either A, he's incompetent, or B, he's lying. Or C, a combination of the two. This garbage from our administration, man. Oh, boy. And here's the thing. We don't need to put up with this anymore. We don't need to put up with four more, year, four more years of this. We got to put up for with it for now. We don't need to do it for another four years. Keep that in mind. So um, I covered a little bit, uh, I think two or three podcasts ago, that Donald Trump's approval rating shot up a little bit. They were in the upper 40s to low 50s. Uh, his approval of how he's handling of how he was handling coronavirus was also up in the mid 50s. Um, well, they've come back down, as I predicted. Uh, Trump's approval ratings is uh, it's back uh, about where he was before this really exploded, uh, back to the low to mid 40s, uh, and he loses every matchup against Joe Biden currently. Um, and it, it doesn't surprise me because the you know he he's lied so much these press briefings are a joke but anybody who watches them knows that if you look at them if if you watch them with an object with a halfway objective eye you would see that um and his his response has been awful from the beginning and I think people are finally starting to get around, get get beyond the rally around the flag uh, that we typically do in this country. Whenever there's a crisis, uh, we rally around the president. And I, I, as I said before, I didn't really think the rally was all that great around Donald Trump, especially considering what we're going through. I personally think this is the worst thing that happened to the country and the world since probably World War II. Um, and Trump barely got a boost above 50%. In most polls, he didn't get above 50%. So I thought that was concerning for him. And it looks like he's coming back down to earth a little bit. We'll see how it plays out long term. I'm not a fortune teller. I can't see what it's going to you know, what the country is going to look like uh, in two weeks, let alone by November, but just something to keep an eye on. Uh, I also want to talk about Wisconsin. So Wisconsin had an election yesterday. Now, if you haven't been following the news, you're probably thinking, well, but what do you mean, Sean? So they had mail-in ballots or absentee ballots. There's no way they made people go to the polls in a pandemic, right? No, they did. They did. So uh, Governor Tony Evers uh, wanted to move the election to June, like a number of states, uh, you know, Republican and Democratic governors have done. They, they've moved states back to June, where hopefully we could have 
uh, primary elections, and Governor Evers tried to do the same, uh, and he moved to do it, but the federal and state Supreme Court the sta- uh, stopped him. So they stopped him by saying that an election was a... Um, was an essential process. So they made people, if you didn't have an absentee ballot, if you didn't do a mail-in ballot, they made them go to the polls because it was seen as essential. So it happened about how you'd expect. Um, There were long lines, especially in Milwaukee County, um, where... They normally have 180 polling places open. And they didn't have 180 polling places open uh, yesterday. They didn't have 150. They didn't have 120. They didn't have 100. They didn't have 50. They didn't have 25. They didn't have 10. They had five. They had five polling places open in Milwaukee County. And this is the biggest county in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, it also happens to be a mostly black county. It's heavily, it votes heavy Democrat. So you're probably thinking, well, you know, why, why would they do something like that? Why would they have a primary election? You know, Donald Trump's going to obviously win the, win the primary uh, does it doesn't really matter who wins between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Well, there are other elections. Uh, there were other elections yesterday. There was an election for the state Supreme Court. And there was a conservative challenge. There, there was a conservative judge who was facing a liberal challenge. And they go and they decide to have the election with all of these polling places closed in heavy Democratic counties. But in most of the heavy Republican counties, they were mostly still open. So they thought, well, we're going to win. We'll just have the election anyway. Eh, If people die, people die. Eh, Who cares? That's pretty much what they said. As a matter of fact, I'm not making this up. The Speaker of the House in the state of Wisconsin is a Republican. His name is Robin Voss. He said it was totally safe to go and vote. He's encouraging people to go out and vote. Now, that seems pretty American to me, right? You want to encourage people to go vote. He was wearing a hazmat suit, though. He's wearing a mask. (laughs) He was wearing all personal protective gear. And he's telling people to go vote. He's telling people... If you live in Milwaukee County, go stand in line for up to three to five hours. And, you know, just give it a shot. Go vote. Yeah, what could happen? Pandemics. <laughs> what, could, what, what bad could happen? Go vote. Go be an American. These people are sick. They really, really are. Making people go vote during a pandemic. 
And they did it to keep a Supreme Court seat in the state of Wisconsin. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Unfortunately for some people, I think it is. People get coronavirus, making sick people get out. People with pre-existing conditions, older people. Making them go vote, stand outside for three to five hours. It's outrageous. So it is now time for my deep dive. Um, and this is going to be a deep dive into uh, Bernie Sanders and also where the progressive movement goes from here. So Bernie Sanders made the decision today to concede from the race for president. Uh, this is something that I've anticipated and I've told you I anticipated for a long time now. Uh, really, from the Michigan primary, I thought that he didn't really have that clear of a path to the nomination. Um, and he so much has said so today. And I am really proud of the campaign that he ran. Uh, really, the last two times. So, what did he do right? Well, he built the movement. And that's something that really hasn't happened, especially on the Democratic side, in a long, long time. You know, people don't... He had more than a campaign, like somebody like Mayor Pete, or Elizabeth Warren, or Amy Klobuchar. Well, you know, I think really, except Warren, you know, Pete and Klobuchar, that they ran better than expected. They ran pretty good campaigns. Um, and I'll give them credit for that, but they didn't build a movement. Nobody's going to be building a movement around the ideas of Amy Klobuchar. But Bernie, they will be. He moved in the last Four years, he's moved the Overton window in the Democratic Party almost single-handedly. The whole party, you know, among the leadership, almost all unanimously supports $15 minimum wage now. They almost unanimously support at least a public option for health care. And that's really because of Bernie Sanders. Bernie has pushed this party very much. At least the the he pushed centrist more than anything to the left. And that's important. Because if you're centrist or you know, very center, people like Joe Manchin are actually pretty conservative progressive priorities are not going to be at the forefront. 
they're going to be where they were really the 25 years previously, where the Democrats were always running to the center. Now we have a pretty strong left in this country, and they're very influential, and that's really because of Bernie Sanders. And again, with the movement he built, he, he raised money from over 2 million individual contributors. That's nothing to scoff at. He, doesn't ha- he didn't have a super PAC. He didn't have money coming in from billionaires. He didn't have fancy private dinners where it cost uh, $3,000 a plate just to get in. He did it by raising money online from regular people. Number one occupation that he raised money from were teachers. But then, you know, that's because he's, you know, so pro-union, pro, he's very pro-teacher. Even his free college plan. Even Joe Biden adopted a version of his free college plan. He wants free college for anybody that comes from a household that makes under $125,000 a year. And that was something that we were told by the Clinton campaign was pie in the sky. And he he moved the he moved the Overton window, and that's nothing to scoff at. And the thing about movements are, they're bigger than one person. The progressive movement is a lot bigger than Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders would be the first person to tell you that. It's about his ideas. And I think this is probably Bernie's last time. I I can't picture him at 82 running for president again. I think this is his last time running for president. Um, But his ideas are still going to be there. And we're just going to need somebody to take the mantle. But it starts with us. That's why, you know, I encourage you to, you know, think about running for, you don't have to run for president or Senate or Congress, run for school board. Run for city council. Get involved in a campaign. Even if you're not the candidate. Get involved. I think people have to be the change they want to see in the world. If you believe in what Bernie's message was, back people who also share that vision. And if we could get together behind behind you know the goals of social democracy about around these ideas. We're going to be tough to stop. 70% of Democratic primary voters under the age of 45 voted for Bernie Sanders. His ideas are the future. And I am very optimistic that we're going to see a lot of his ideas enacted relatively soon. And by relatively soon, I mean in the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, Some of them need to be enacted quicker. Things like the, the some version of the Green New Deal that they, they got to be implemented very quick. Right now, we have a 
president who doesn't care at all about the climate. He thinks, again, another Trump lie that global warming is a hoax made up by the Chinese. Um, and that's something we cannot wait on. But I do think that eventually we will have a country where these ideas are not only mainstream, but they're going to be enacted. I am very, very optimistic. So why did he lose? So I think fundamentally Bernie lost because Democratic primary voters, more than anything, and this was in every state, including states Bernie won or did well in, they wanted somebody who could beat Donald Trump. And the media constantly hounded Bernie. And, and you know, if you watch any debate with him or almost any interview or town hall, the one question he would get over and over and over again is, how are you going to pay for that? And he would get it about anything. He'd get it over free college. And I've explained uh, a few different times on this podcast that free college really isn't that expensive. It's, it's, you know, it's something. It's about $70 billion a year. Okay. It's not, you know, loose change. <laughs> but we just bailed out corporations. And that cost $500 billion. That covers free college for, I'm not a math person, but I think for almost over seven years. Just that. Just $500 billion that we just gave to corporations to bail them out. We spend $700 billion per year on the military. Why aren't we ever asking how are we going to pay for that? Why isn't the mainstream media asking Donald Trump or, you know, whomever, whoever supports these massive military budgets that are totally unnecessary? Why aren't we ever asking them how are they going to pay for that? So part of it was the media and the media largely convinced they were successful at this. They largely convinced enough people that Joe Biden was the one who could beat Donald Trump. He was seen as the safe pick. And he might end up being the safe pick. I hope he is. But I have strong doubts about it. And as I explained before on the podcast, anytime Democrats went with the safe pick, Dukakis, uh, Mondale, Gore, Kerry, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, to be specific. You know what they all had in common? They lost. Every single one of them. Yes, Gore and Hillary won the popular vote, and but Gore probably won the election. But still, George Bush became president after, how, and after Gore ran against them. But, you know, Mondale, who was a former vice president, got crushed by Ronald Reagan. Michael Dukakis got beat pretty badly by 
George Herbert Walker Bush. John Kerry got beat by George W. Bush. This tends to happen, and I hope and I pray it doesn't happen to Joe Biden. But if history's taught us anything, it's anytime you go with the safe pick, you usually lose. But the media was successful in convincing enough people that Joe Biden was the one to beat Trump. And, you know, part of it falls on Bernie Sanders. Bernie was not able to convince enough people that he could beat Donald Trump, despite most of his ideas actually being quite popular at the ballot box. Free college is popular. A national health program is popular. Raising taxes on the rich, popular. A wealth tax, popular. All these ideas do well at the ballot box. And I don't just mean among Democratic voters either. I mean nationwide. And among Democratic voters, if you look at every single state that's had a primary so far, every single one. Now, granted, these are Democratic voters. Bernie's Medicare for All plan pulls, pulls at least at 50% at minimum. So at every single state that we've had so far, Medicare for All polls at least above 50%. And, um, you know, part of the other thing that Bernie didn't do well enough was he didn't get enough young, he didn't get his people out to vote enough. Elections really are pretty simple. You get your people out to vote, you're probably going to win. If you don't, you're probably going to lose. Biden did very well with older voters. And older voters tend to vote more than younger voters. And Bernie was not able to get those young people out that he needed to. And that falls on him. You got to be able to get your people out. Uh, He also, again, this is a lot like 2016, he wasn't able to win over uh, older black voters. And he also lost some of that Rust Belt uh, blue collar worker coalition that made him that helped him a lot in states in 2016. Uh, Joe Biden beat him pretty good in Michigan this year. And Bernie was able to beat Hillary Clinton in Michigan in 2016. He was able to win in Minnesota. Uh, We don't know what happened yet in Wisconsin, but he was way down in the polls. So I can envision, so I envision that he didn't do so well in Wisconsin, in Illinois. Uh, He didn't win in 2016, but he did pretty well. He wasn't able to win there. And I think that uh, critique of Bernie early on in the primaries is probably actually true. And that's that his 2016 coalition included a lot of people who were anti-Clinton. And they were able, they were willing to vote for anybody who wasn't Hillary Clinton, and they saw, ah, well, you know, Bernie Sanders, um, he says a lot of what I agree with. I'm not really too big on Hillary Clinton. I'll vote for Bernie. Why not? And this time, there was just a lot less anti Joe Biden sentiment than there was anti Hillary Clinton sentiment. So. That leads me to believe maybe Biden will be more successful than Hillary Clinton in the general. But it's a 
election day is not for another seven months. So it's really hard to make that call at this point. So how should the progressive movement go from here? Now, if you've listened to my first, um, I think we're on episode eight now. If you listen to my first seven podcasts, you'll know I'm a pretty progressive guy. Uh, I consider myself to be a social Democrat. Um, I'm going to get into what that means at a later podcast. I might do a whole deep dive on the differences between social Democrat, a socialist, democratic socialist, capitalist, things of that. But I, I'm on the left. And among democratic socialists, social Democrats, we mostly want very similar things. And we're progressives. And I kind of count us all in that same uh, realm, even, you know, Bernie supporters, even some Warren supporters and some progressives that might have voted for other candidates. So but Bernie supporters in particular are probably all thinking, well, where, where do we go from here? Well, I have some ideas. So I'm going to be voting for Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not my first pick. He's not my second pick. He's not my third pick. He's not my fourth pick. Probably not even my fifth pick. But the reason I am saying today, just you know, hours after Bernie Sanders dropped out, that I'll be voting for him, really comes down to two things. The number one thing I think of is the Supreme Court. And I, I was just telling my dad this today. It doesn't feel like the Democrats really emphasize how important the Supreme Court is, quite like Republicans do. So I don't know if you remember this or not, but in uh, in 2016, Antonin Scalia, who was a legendary conservative uh, Supreme Court justice, he passed away. Uh, And in 2016 was also an election year, and President Obama was in his last year in office. So uh, Barack Obama goes and he nominates Merrick Garland to be on the Supreme Court. And Mitch McConnell, who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time, uh, doesn't even have a hearing for him. Typically, Supreme Court justices go in front of the Senate, they have a hearing, they get asked questions, and then they either get confirmed or denied. So Mitch McConnell didn't even let him get confirmed or denied. He didn't even have a hearing for him. And he said, no, we're happy with the Supreme Court uh, having eight eight justices for now instead of nine. And we're going to let the voters decide it. Even though the voters decided that they wanted to vote for Barack Obama for four years, that's what Mitch McConnell went and did. So why did he do that? Well, he cares about the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell is is an extremely conservative Republican. Uh, one of the worst people in Washington, but he realizes the importance of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, um, in in case you didn't know, those justices sit on that court until they die or retire. And Republicans have been better able to convince their voters that to convince their voters um, that it's something worth voting over. That maybe you don't love the candidate they put in front of you. There are a lot of people, surprisingly, in the Republican Party 
that weren't crazy about Donald Trump in 2016, but they were willing to vote for him because of the Supreme Court. And what it really comes down to for me is Joe Biden, I know, will pick center-left judges. Donald Trump will pick conservative judges. He's done it twice. And I should say conservative justices. And then throughout the whole federal government, every on uh, federal benches, Donald Trump's been filling up those benches with conservative judges. And Mitch McConnell's been confirming them. And that's going to continue to happen. And if that continues to happen, then even if we get a President um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, in a few years, it's not going to make a lick of difference because they're going to, sh- to knock down almost everything that's passed by a progressive. Almost the entire progressive agenda could be shot down. And then some. And we look at, you know, who's older on the court. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had cancer a few times. That uh, doesn't look really, look sickly quite a bit. <laughs> to put it kindly, and I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't mean any disrespect. But she's probably got to retire and uh, Stephen Breyer is also pushing 80. And he's another liberal justice. So those are two seats right there that Donald Trump could very easily flip from liberal to conservative if one or both of them either pass away or retire. So I do not want Donald Trump picking Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Stephen Breyer's replacement. Uh, justice Clarence Thomas, who's a who's a conservative justice, uh, has been on the court since uh, 1991, I believe. Uh, there were rumors uh, through Trump's first term that he's looking to retire. So if he does retire, I do not want Donald Trump to go and pick another conservative justice for the next 30 years. And then that's a conservative seat for the next 30 years. The Supreme Court already stands at 5-4 in favor of the conservatives. And I do not want that to be I do not want that to be the number for the next thirty. And it could be worse. It could be seven two easily if something happens through Bader Ginsburg or Stephen Breyer. It could be easily seven two. So what what does that mean? Because I know you're probably thinking, Sean. I mean, what what difference does the Supreme Court make? They sit in judge. They sit in uh, robes all day, and you know that don't they? Don't they just determine the law, which is true? But make no mistake about it; these are very partisan people. Look at that! Look at that decision in Wisconsin, just yesterday or two days ago. The decision came in. If that was Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court instead of uh, Justice Gorsuch, that's who Trump ended up appointing. I can almost guarantee you that election would have been postponed and those people wouldn't be in danger when they have to go and vote. Almost guarantee it. 
And then you you look at uh, in the Affordable Care Act, uh, Medicaid wasn't expanded. Um, so <clears throat> the poorest people in state in states that didn't expand Medicaid as part of the Affordable Care Act. These are the poorest of the poor. These are people making under twelve thousand dollars a year. If you make under twelve thousand dollars a year, you were supposed to be eligible for Medicaid for your health insurance. And you weren't able to get tax credits to help pay for your the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. So the Supreme Court said you can't make the states expand Medicaid. They have to do so voluntarily. So there were states that chose not to expand Medicaid. And now the poorest people in those states have no access to health insurance. Unless they pay outrageous rates for them for it. So either they don't have met, so either they don't have health insurance, or they they got to go almost broke, paying for it. That's because of the Supreme Court. They've been chipping away at workers' rights for years. They've been chipping away at women's rights for years. Roe v. Wade is in serious jeopardy. If we have two two more conservative justices on the Supreme Court. There's no question in my mind. So that's the Supreme Court part of it. But you might be thinking, okay, Supreme Court, all right, maybe that's important. But I really don't want Joe Biden. Uh, He's extremely centrist. He's not going to change anything. Why should I go with him rather than just stick with Trump? So... I want to talk about the civil rights era. And President Lyndon Johnson was a Southern Democrat with a mediocre, at best, civil rights record. Of course, he was uh, John F. Kennedy's vice president. John F. Kennedy gets assassinated and he takes over. So he was able to sign the Civil Rights Act into law as, as well as the Voting Rights Act in 1964 and 1965. So how was he able to do that? Very simple. He was pushed. There was a strong push on the left to support these policies. And being able to get a politician to be pushed to to do anything is extremely valuable. And while I'm not saying... Joe Biden is going to be the fighter for uh, liberal values he, or progressive values. He, he is not. <laughs> but he could be pushed. If he feels that he may have a, an insurgent uh, primary foe who's formidable, he could definitely be pushed. That's part of how Lyndon Johnson was able to be pushed. In 1964, he was terrified Robert Kennedy was going to enter the race. Primaries work. So be willing to use the leverage you have over somebody like Joe Biden. And just fundamentally... I'll take moderate centrist policies over right-wing extremist policies.
you know, babies aren't going to be ripped from their parents at the border under Joe Biden presidency. The EPA won't be cut to almost nothing under a Joe Biden presidency. More people will have health insurance under a Joe Biden presidency, not less, like they do right now. Number of people insured went down under Donald Trump. That won't happen under Joe Biden. And, you know, for the record, Donald Trump just lies so much. And granted, politicians lie. I get that. The Washington Post reported Donald Trump, and this was in January they, they wrote this. January 2020. John, Donald Trump has lied over 16,000 times just since becoming president. He's a pathological liar, and that's the last thing we need right now, especially when you're dealing with something like a pandemic. And we can't trust the president. Not only can we not trust his response, which I do not, I can't trust what he's saying to me. I don't trust him to tell me just basic facts about what's going on on the ground because he only cares about what's good for him. Joe Biden, as imperfect as he is, he will not be that way. And I can't tell you who to vote for. I can't. I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to vote for him, and then I'm going to push him. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, and I'm going to try my best to push him to the left. I hope you'll do the same. Like I said, I can't tell you who to vote for. But to me, if you want... um. If you want to pursue progressive policies, if you care about things like the truth, if you care about things like facts, if you care about things like corruption, and who's, <laughs> and you look at Donald Trump and you see how corrupt he is, if you care about things like competence, then I think Joe Biden's the pick. Well, that is my show. That is American Deep Dive. I do thank you all very much for tuning in, and I hope you stay tuned and stay safe and stay inside.